Welcome to the Natural Running Network. My name is Richard Diaz, and what I hope to do is introduce you to some amazing athletes and luminaries from the sports science community, and what has come to be expected, I'll provide some highly opinionated rants on all aspects of endurance sports and my current favorite, obstacle course racing. Now sit tight, grab a cup of coffee, and let's do this. Well, you know, it was probably... I don't know, a week ago that I went on social media and said, don't look for me to do lots of podcasts anymore. If I don't have something relevant to talk about or someone relevant to interview, that I'm just not going to do it. And here I am. And I'd like to believe that fortune has smiled on me because through some of the research I've been doing recently, I came across a gentleman that caught my attention and I thought, wow, this guy's got it going on. He he, he gets it. And uh, I took a shot and, to reach out to him. And sure enough, I was able to get him to spend some time with me at a podcast. And this gentleman's name is Julian Pinou. And he's a Frenchman living in the Netherlands and is in the business as a human movement specialist. Now, I know that people hearing me say that know why that I would take the time to bring him on because clearly that line of work resonates with me. And uh, I think that you're going to find the interview with him fascinating simply because those of you that are into obstacle course racing and have been paying attention to my podcast are always looking for an edge, always looking for a way to improve their ability to get through these courses. And a lot of the problems that they're facing is failure with grip strength, and this guy knows grip strength. Julian, say hello to the audience for me, please. Hi, everybody. So, by the way, I'm not that French anymore, so don't hold it against me. <laughs> yeah, you know what? And I love that about you. I do already. I yeah, there you go. So, Julian, if you would please, could you just do a better job with me in explaining the types of things you do and where you came from in respect to your your education and such? Uh, yes, so I'm not, uh, I have, I'm not an academic by any means. I'm, uh, I'm fairly smart, but not from the academic world. I've been into sports m my whole life. I think I was talking to my fiance the other day. I've been at a national level sport since I'm eight years old or something like that. And so I, around like 1920, I discovered that my vocation was not necessarily competing. I like coaching far more. And so that's been my vocation, obsession, whatever you want to call it, since, uh, since then. So really, it's a lifetime pursuit. And um, I started coaching. I was like, what, 20, 21? So it's been almost 25 years now. And that led me to trying to get people better. And so for lack of a better term, we call that a movement specialist because that seems to be a good way to start. So I had, I owned a gym up until like three years ago. And then I did an interview on the, something called a Barbell Shred podcast that resonated, I think, profoundly within CrossFit. And then that led me to do seminars for like two and a half years across the world. And then eventually I settled down last June in Holland. But basically my, my specialty is human beings. I, I'm a specialist 
but I'm not a fragmentalist. I'll explain what I mean by that. But to me, there is a unity to the human body that uh, I did not necessarily see in a strength and conditioning world where they had a tendency to to split the the body in body parts and, and energy system, but never putting it back together. And so my work has been really about studying humans to see how what I could do to make them better. And so movement, obviously, is a huge part of that, as you can imagine. Now, when you're talking about this, essentially what you're saying is, and I, I agree with you, that in fitness, the common thread has been isolation. They tend to yes. want to segregate body parts and and through this type of effort, they tend to generate imbalances that lead to injury and lack of performance. Yeah, actually, I think it's an issue we see in science a lot. There's a physicist, David Bohm, the American physicist, who wrote a book called The Implicate Order, uh, like, I don't know, like 50 years ago. And he was talking about Western scientists going from specialist to, to, from specialization to fragmentation. Right, taking one area and then going from there and then starting to go narrower and narrower until they have fragmentation of a subject just so they can produce pills or whatever it is that allows them to be not specialized anymore, but more like fragmentized things into little pieces they can study better. The problem with that is that's not how humans work. You, there's a moment where you have to stop t- taking it into smaller and smaller body parts. It's not a Lego. You don't get to go to small pieces. And for the human body, for movement, we have to stop with the with the fragmentation of muscle groups because then you end up with teaching position instead of teaching tension, which in itself is a humongous problem. Right. And when you, you talk about this fragmentation, I think something that would really kind of drive it home for my audience is, for example, focusing exclusively on trying to develop grip. And depending on your hand to essentially take the responsibility of the entire body under load. Yeah, exactly. Like you, whenever you start to grip and pull toward you, it's, it's like arm wrestling. If your bicep is not doing its job, you're going to put so much work on your hands. Like those muscles can only take so much. You don't want to put everything on flex, flexors, extensors. Your bicep are, are supposed to take part of the load. And that connection follows all the way to the peg, to the peg, just like a gymnast. Like gymnasts, uh, you can tell from the way they grip, they go toward tension, toward the center of the body. They develop pegs, biceps. Everything is a unit. You cannot just ask your forearms to do grip work. If you do that, you'll gas out so fast. The bicep, the pegs, the, the entire chain has to be developed. Otherwise, you'll, you'll use way too much work on small muscle. And, and once they're fatigued, by the way, you're screwed. So now let's try to paint a picture if we could. When you see somebody hanging from a bar, yeah. uh, maybe a good example of this is to do a muscle up. Yeah. And uh, or, you know, let's let's make it even more complicated and do it from rings. Then you're going to do a muscle up from the rings. And the first thing you do is you engage the rings with your grip. And then you hope to pull yourself into a position where you're extended into the shoulder girdle and then function from that position. Now, talk about where you would see common flaws in, in, in an activity like this. Okay, so for example, what is, what is your, I don't, I don't like when we say core, uh, what is the trunk 
doing. If you look at um, gymnasts, for example, when they do a muscle up, which is really what you want to look at, you will see what they call a hollow position. So what is a hollow position? It's the whole body basically having tension toward the center of the body. Imagine every line of your body going toward your belly button. Right? So that's what basically they're trying to go toward, is to bring tension toward the center of the body. Most people, when they pull themselves, they're going to retract their shoulder blades and go toward the opposite way, which is tension toward the outside of the body. So you have basically it's a matter of torque. Which tension are you creating? Which torque are you creating? So if you have a body that goes toward the hollow position, you're going toward the belly button. That's what we call internal torque. You have specific muscles that do that. Like, uh, you know, like external obliques, low abs. Um, you're going to use your pec major, your biceps, things like this. So I'm going to look at the entire chain to see on which muscle you're going to rely. So let's say you're pulling yourself up on the rings. Like, are you going toward flexors or extensors of the forearms? Are you going toward the short head of the bicep? Are you using your pecs to go up? Or are you arching your back using your lumbar erectors? Are you using your lats and not your pecs? Because that will, that will change the way the whole unit is working. So it seems that the body either works toward internal torque or works toward external torque. External torque is like doing a max box jump, you know, where everything is expanding from the belly button out, but that allows you to jump very high. But if you look at gymnasts when they do muscle up, actually, they go the other way. They go toward internal torque. So when I look at someone trying to pull himself on the ring, I'm trying to see which tension they try to create. So it's not so much the position I look at, it's which tension you're trying to generate. And you will see that when you lack strength, you're gonna try to find you're gonna try to find that explosiveness is in external torque. The problem with that is that you're disengaging certain muscles that you very much need to control the movement and basically put yourself up. So once you have a movement that requires a hollow position, internal torque, but you're not strong enough and you try to use external torque, you're going to put your joints within the wrong tension, which is going to lead to injury. You're going to be inefficient in your energy system. It's going to lead to a number of issues like that. Oh, wow. I just love the way that you portrayed it because it's exactly what I was hoping to fish out of you. It's, it's that, and I, I think the approach is very fascinating as well because you're talking about uh, the development of tension and looking where the tension is being produced versus where the external load is being placed. You could see somebody trying to bicep their way up. Yeah. And by doing so, bypass the musculature that would be integrated into the process of, of pushing yourself to that position. Yeah. So you're going to see biceps, they were, you're going to see uh, back their way up. Like you're going to see them using the lumbar erectors instead of a much more uh, functional approach, which is going to be, you know, external obliques, transverse, low abs, like that whole hollow body position. So, but you see that uh, like through physiotherapy or things like this, or even bad coaching, where they're teaching position. They're saying this is, you know, like if you get your chin over the bar, that's a pull up. I'm like, well, that depends how you want to do the pull up, right? So too many times we teach position saying like you have to look a certain way which is not true. What we have to teach, we have to teach tension, which means don't look a certain way, you have to be a certain way. It's not about how you look in the movement, it's not, not about position, it's about tension. So that changes everything, because you can see that on the squat, everything, where it's not enough to tell people your hips should be there, or knees out, or all that bullshit. We have to tell them which tension they're supposed to create. So on the muscle up, like using your bicep, 
By the way, is it short head of the bicep or long head of the bicep? Because that's going to change things as well, right? Are you trying to go toward uh, a certain part of the trunk or toward your lumbar erectors? You will see a lot of people that are jerking their way up using the lumbar erectors in order because they can't rely on that internal torque. That, first of all, switches your energy system from a basically more calm movement to a very explosive one, which for reps might not be necessarily what we're looking for. And on top of it, you're going to basically disengage the pec, which, of course, is what you need to do a dips, to do the dip part of the muscle up. And it's going to generate suddenly tension in the wrong places, which can, over time, it will screw up your, your joints. But in the meantime, it's going to make you very tired on top of it. Hmm. Now, the other thing that you, you had said in this podcast I watched that I thought was fascinating and it made a lot of sense to me is you were talking about the ability to lift load. So, for example, doing a snatch. And you were suggesting that when you train someone to snatch, you have them, once they get the load overhead, you have them walk with it. Yes. And the reason you have them do that is because if you are preferentially loading to one side of your body or the other, I might have this wrong, you can correct me, but then in a linear pattern and you're, you're closed chain, so you're, you're, you're locked into the ground, you throw the load up, and you may be constantly pushing load preferentially off one limb or one lever. And by doing so over and over and over again, you develop imbalances and you get to a plateau in your ability to lift simply because you're, you're relying on an unstable platform in order to do the work. And by, by making them move, one step at a time, you help to develop synergy in their movement. Am I wrong about that, or is that pretty clear? No, it's, it's, it's exactly that. The, the, the issue also is that the athlete doesn't know he's doing it, and that's a big, big issue. So if we use the snatch, for example, you see many times the problem of people using the traps to hold the weight overhead instead of uh, the pec and the short head of the bicep, right? So internal torque applies overhead. Uh, you're supposed to use pec, short head of the bicep, a certain number of muscles. If you're weak on that side, right, you will go toward external torque. Let's say you use your trap. You see that a lot where people have one side where they use the trap uh, more than, than, on, than on the other side. And you can see that because that, that one shoulder raises uh, in the air more than the other side. So that means that the entire load is not being uh, put equally on your spine. So first of all, that's not good for you, obviously. And it's going to fuck up your shoulder. But on top of it, it's going to ha uh, you're going to do this because you need to, because you're not capable of holding the weight correctly. So you're going to start to compensate and adapt. And you'll see it 99% of the time, the athlete has no clue he's doing it. Yeah. So that means that over time, he's going to do it more and more and more. And of course, he puts more weight. And so the, the, the changes start to get bigger and bigger without the athletes ever knowing the difference. So that's problem number one, is how can you fix something you have no clue is happening, yeah. right? Because to you, you're straight. So you show them a video and they go, oh my God, is that what I do? They have no clue. So my first thing was, and that's always been my belief, is like, I cannot correct the position. I can only correct the tension. So first of all, I need the athletes to realize there's a problem, right? And to be able to fix it, them not, just me telling them, stop doing that, is not going to do the job. They have to feel it. And they have to know exactly where the issue is. So I was like, all right. So if I do on a snatch, which is the constant bilateral movement, it won't work. I'm like, I need for them to stop using the trap constantly. I was like, all right. So how am I going to do that? And then I realized I could use the yoke, uh, which is that big strongman implement, because overhead, the thing swings at the bottom 
and forces them to stabilize in the frontal plane. Because it's harder to stabilize than a barbell, they could not use the trap anymore to do that because the trap is very, very poor at balancing weight. So, and then suddenly by making them walk, I would, make, I would force them to see the difference between the left and the right. And so by going left, right, left, right, and having to stabilize that unstable load, they would need to find the proper muscle to do it. And on top of it, it would have the added bonus that it would make them realize what is happening. Like on one side, they can't do it. Like they would walk, let's say, take a proper left step, but the right step, they would go all over the place. So any exercise that I chose had to obey three rules. He had to show the problem. He had to fix the problem. And very importantly, he had to give feedback to the athletes. And then I found that carries was the easiest, sorry, not the easiest way, but the simplest way that I had to show them, look, you can't do this on this side. Do you see the problem now? And be like, oh my God, yes. So now instead of being the asshole who tells you, <laughs> you suck, I'm suddenly, you're going to me coming like, how do I fix this? The second I got an athlete saying, how do I fix this? I won. Because yeah. before that, I'm just, again, I'm just the asshole saying, hey, you suck. <laughs> uh, and now and I'm assuming that this technique holds true with just about anything that you yeah. do. Yes. Always, always like the feedback from the, I, I can't, I can fix position. I can tell you to look a certain way, but to truly fix an issue, you're going to have to feel the movement. There is no other way. So I need you to get feedback from the exercise. I need you, I need to choose the exercise properly for you so that when you do it, you go, okay, I have a problem there. And then we can work. Outside of that, it's just me ordering you to do stuff. The second I'm not there, you go back to where you were before. Wow. It's fascinating. Now, I could think of so many different paths this can go down when it comes to dealing with uh, the sport that we're involved in, because there are occasions, well, they, they have to carry heavy sandbags up a mountain or down yeah. a mountain. You I like know? that one. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure you do. <laughs> and, and so, and this is, by the way, where a lot of people fail in the sport. They're, no shit. Yes. Yeah, they're, terribly incapable of managing to carry load, especially under pace while climbing a mountain. Uh, well, by the way, their lower back blow up every time they carry a sandbag. Right. And right. So that's the most common one. There's a way to fix that. It's just like pro, uh, people, if they use the wrong muscle, the, the wrong torque chain and blow up the lumbar erectors every single time. So what's the way to fix it? So the key is that you never carry a sandbag into external torque. Does that mean like high on your chest? Because basically you're trying to get it away from your, from your stomach because you don't like the load on your organs, which is normal. The problem is they go toward, um, they put the sandbag basically toward the chest. And if you look at that position, it's that overextended position. Like you're, uh, you know, like you're walking with your chest up, like you're a douchebag at the gym. You know, SPS, <laughs> the permanent lat syndrome, right? So people walk with a sandbag like they have, they overly arch, like they have butts, like Brazilian ladies. Know what I mean, so the the problem with that is that that leads you toward external torque, and you're putting most of the stress on the lumbar erectors. But you have to understand that the lumbar erectors, its its function is to contract explosively. Its function is not to stay under tension for time. That's not his job. His job is to basically make you jump very high by contracting, so pure concentric, very explosively. That is not the muscle that you want to use to carry a sandbag over a mountain because it takes too long. So of course he gets wasted tired because you're using 
a muscle that is not designed for that particular energy system. What you want instead is to use that internal torque, which is toward that the low abs, the transverse, the external obliques. And basically, the next time you carry a sandbag, try this. Squeeze your elbows together, use your pec major, and try to push your low ab into the sandbag. So it's going to make you look almost like you are hunching a little bit, and that's okay. You're going to feel it in your hammies, in your glute major, in your low abs, in your external obliques, and in your pecs. But those muscles are designed to stay into that isometric hole for much, much longer because that is not the job of the lumbar erectors. Wow. So you'll notice that all the exercises that target your lumbar erectors target the traps as well. I don't know how familiar you are with the with the work, but there's occasion where instead of a sandbag, it may be like a five-gallon bucket full of yeah. sand or rocks or whatever. And now they're using a lid. They're putting a lid on it so it's sealed. I've seen guys actually try to carry the bucket behind their back, uh, reach behind them and hold the bucket against the small of their back. What do you think of that idea? Well, it'll make them go forward a little bit. I think they're probably doing that because they just can't take the load on their uh, on their lumbar erectors. Like one, it's the same thing as the grip, the lumbar erectors. Once they get tired, it takes forever to recover. Hmm. Because its its job again is not to hold things under tension. So if they put it on their back like this, at least they won't blow up their back. So that's better. That leading forward position means their hammies or glutes are going to explode. Mm. So mm. that probably is better than lumbar erectors, but it's still very taxing. I would, if it's not too heavy, I would tr I would basically learn to carry it forward toward, but not toward the lumbar erectors. So I did a video on YouTube about how to carry a sandbag that they can check if you want. It's on the Strong Fit YouTube. But the idea is to train yourself to have the load being carried by the right muscles. So imagine if you have two muscle groups and not 120. Imagine if you have internal torque muscle group or external torque muscle group. If you train your body as a unit toward internal torque, all the muscle will come together and divide the load properly. That will make you capable of handling that kind of stuff much, much, much longer. The problem becomes that when you are either not developed correctly into one chain versus the other or carrying the load incorrectly, is you are going into isolation. You are for forcing certain muscles to take the load by themselves. And the second you get tired, your body will instinctively go toward the sympathetic state. It doesn't have a choice. And it will take over movement. The problem is when it takes over the, your movement, you're going to fatigue very fast. It's a self-defense mechanism the body has, but you don't want to go there. So there are ways to train to make sure that your body doesn't take over in that sense as well. Now, when you talk about the weight of a sandbag, in your perspective, I'm assuming that it's much, much heavier. They're looking at uh, average load for the men is about 60 pounds yeah. max. No, no, no. My, my training, just so you know, my training at some point for a year and a half, after every, every training session, I took a 100-pound sandbag and carried it for 400 meters. I did that regardless of the training session for a year and a half. And he, that's what got me so strong because he built certain muscle that you can only build uh, over longer period of time. Mm -hmm. And so I, I know exactly what it feels like to carry something of that weight for a very, very long distance. So I, I don't mind that they use only 60 pounds. It doesn't matter. The idea is the same. Instead of, so take the 60, take 80 pounds, maybe even 100 pounds, go for 400, 600 meters and learn not to blow up your lower back. There's a way to do this. 
your lower back does not have to blow up. By the way, if you feel your traps, it's the same problem. Okay, so if you feel your traps engaged, they're going to fatigue as well as the lumbar spine? Exactly, because that's their job. The, the traps is to make you shrug violently like an Olympic weightlifting move. They're not supposed to basically stay with your shoulder up for a long time. Like you can keep your shoulders down by, and engaging your pecs, looking again like the douchebag at the gym. That's a position that you can maintain for a while. But if you start to have your shoulders toward your ears, you will fatigue fast. That is not the proper position. Okay. So leave the shoulders down, draw the load in close to your abdominals. and I swear. Yeah. Try this. Use your pec major. Like squeeze your elbows together. So when you carry the stuff, squeeze your elbows together. Make sure your nipples are on fire. <laughs> I swear. Because it will force you into the right tension. Oh, yeah, it seems it seems awkward just to speak of it. I know, yeah. but they oh, totally because they're not used to it. Right. Yeah. Because you, you have to understand whenever you go sympathetic. So whenever you're scared or going to fight mode, your body naturally will take you toward external torque, which is this natural response. So you're going to have to calm your mind down, calm your breathing and go toward the proper way to carry. And that will take you toward internal torque. So what I do with with athletes is I find one muscle they can relate to short head of the bicep the pecs the low abs whatever and then i make them focus on that so that they can keep within the tension that i want them in right what i don't want them to do is to to start mouth breathing because by the way when your lower back starts to get fatigue or your trap starts to get fatigue you go to mouth breathing obviously because you're switching to a sympathetic state so that's going to happen eventually my job is to try to delay that moment to the maximum so that your lower back blows up 300 meters in instead of 100 meters in because that'll make you more efficient, you'll be less painful, and you'll go faster. Now, when you were uh, uh, in this video again that I was speaking of, you yeah. talked about training the energy systems and you're talking about lactate, lactic acid and lactate production, which yeah. is something I'm, I'm very familiar with. Uh, I'm actually writing a book that I refer to as The Dark Side. Um, yeah. Yes. And the reason I call it that is because in you know in almost any sport you don't win it aerobically. You know right. you you got to go to the dark side if you want to achieve greatness. And essentially, you you need to make friends with this lactate production and find a way to mitigate it as best you can. And uh, I know that there's been a lot of success in some of the coaching, and I'm not going to use names, but I know there are people in the CrossFit community that are selling the concept of developing the aerobic system to improve lift. And I think that's a that's an oxymoron. Yeah. Yes. The, the, there's two issues with the anaerobic threshold and, and what, what, what you very rightly so call a dark side. First of all is uh, you're not going to skip that part. What I mean by that is you're going to have to go there mentally. And that's something I talk about all the time is you don't get to pace it. And that's a problem you see in CrossFit a lot is the pace. And I'm like, guys, you're going to have to give me one training session a week where you don't pace because be, you, you, you can think you're doing that, that kind of lactate training, but if, if your soul is not bleeding, you're not. That, <laughs> that's the bottom line, right? Like you are, they are, if you do this correctly, you should question your life choices. <laughs> really start to wonder why would you do this to yourself? So, and you see that in CrossFit where they are, they are fit, but they are fit at a very, very specific energy system now. They are, and it has been happening for a long time where 
I take them on a sled and then I make them uh, not pace. And then we fight that lactic threshold real fast. And you see them basically quitting because that has to be trained. Like that idea that you can mentally, like, I'm tough, I can go through it. No, you can't. This has to be trained. And to train, you have to go there. And so that was the first aspect for me was like, okay, I need to find something where I'm going to murder them, <laughs> where I'm show them that they're pacing on everything and you can't be a bitch and you're going to have to go through it. And again, this is that part where you look at the finish line and basically there's a better version of you at the other end of the parking lot. And if you quit at any time from here to there, you quit, you're basically quitting on yourself. So you're going to have to make your soul bleed and make it to the end of the parking lot. And I will be behind you with a stick hitting you, but you will not stop. <laughs> oh, man. So, uh, well, a couple thoughts. First of all, from a standpoint of uh, short, high-intensity effort, I think absolutely I agree with you. You have to develop the capacity to, you know, you're, you're referring to it, the framing it more as a, a mental uh, attribute than it is a, a physicality. So it's you, both of them. Yeah, it, it, no question. But lactate production, once it gets to a point where you're so acidic that your body is just punch drunk, you can't produce work anymore, you're out of it. And, and I like to believe that if you try to do that as your means of developing that energy system over and over and over again without any kind of mediation in the process, you're, it's a losing battle. I like to believe that there's a path where you get to a point where the production of lactic acid is greater than your ability to dispel it and then don't go to max, but to live in this toxic environment in, in marginal levels and then progressively improve on the amount of exposure you get to it. As opposed to, you know, I meet you one morning and say, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to run to the top of this mountain as fast as you can until you, you want to vomit and then do it 50 times. Um, no, what you're, what you're going to yeah. learn is you're going to learn how to vomit. You're not going to learn how to improve. Yes, exactly. No, but that's so, and you're very right. You're very right on that. But so that's why that training session for me was very short, by the way, it was not, it was once a week, maybe sometimes once every two weeks, first of all. Um, but it's a fine line where I agree that there's a physical aspect that you, you can't 50 times up the hill is ridiculous. So first of all, if you do it 50 times to me, all you're going to learn to do is pace. Right. Yeah. Because, you can't do it, right? So it's ridiculous to push the machine that bad. So for me, the way I developed it was a mental test. It's like, I'm going to give you something short and you're going to have to prove to me that you can produce that much, right? Lactate in a short amount of time first to show me that you're tough enough mentally to go there. Once you have the mental capacity, the mental attitude to fight to the death, whatever you want to call it, then we can start building up. But what I won't let you do is pace. Right. So my workouts were actually very, very short in that sense because it was what I wanted out of them was like, show me that you can get there extremely fast. Then I'll know uh, we can work you through the energy system and stuff like that. But first, you're going to have to lose that excuse that you that bullshit excuse you're giving me about not being able to push hard enough. So it was. Um, because God knows they were doing a lot of uh, lot of pushing the machine. By the way, you're right about that. They're doing it way too much in CrossFit. Yeah. But uh, I wanted to make sure that they had the mental capacity. And then that we, so I make them build that, but through very, very short sessions. 
So my theory, again, I'm, I'm being very careful how I say this because I don't want to offend anybody, but being a fly on the wall and having the experience that I have clinically evaluating metabolic structure and understanding the facilitation of slow twitch muscle fibers is not the pathway to produce power. Oh, I didn't know that. No, that you, they used to say that, but honestly, you have to, you have to understand CrossFit. It's because you there's what was being said on the website, what was being said out loud, and what was being done. And trust <laughs> that was not being done. I'm just saying that to hear that just seems like so contrary to the end product, the, the game that you're trying to play. And the other consideration is the amount of time it takes for you to depart from this toxic environment into an aerobic environment and to depend on that as a path to recover, to produce work again, is too slow. And it's slow enough that it will cause you to fail. And I've heard conversations about developing the aerobic energy pathway as a means to produce more power in your lifts. And I'm just not about to buy that. No, there's no, there's no way. By the way, like this is where <laughs> science... This is where they kill me. Is that idea that uh, we are so smart now compared to before? You're telling me that we've been trying to do this for what, 2,500 years, first yeah. Olympics? <laughs> and like now we figure out that you have to run to be stronger. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, you think no one has tried that shit before? <laughs> like, just you have initials behind your last name doesn't mean that you're the smartest thing since sliced bread. Give me a break. Like, they, they're coming up with stuff. It's, guys, we've been trying this for a long time now. I think by now we would know, right? <laughs> so just because, again, like, I, I know exactly what you're referring to, and I've been disagreeing with that since day one. We're actually in the midst of writing a training program that basically is contrary, exclusively contrary to that, and I spell out the physiological incapacity to produce the end game that you're hoping for if in fact you're trying to develop that aerobic system uh, it just it's an oxymoron it doesn't work it, it's just impossible for it to be and, and the only conclusion i can have is if there's anybody that is actually having success with that model the only way that could be is that they were so grossly overtrained to begin with by giving them those breaks aerobically reduce the amount of tension or loads that they've been producing and, and by that recovery, able to produce more work. Yeah, but you know how it is. If you, if you can control the testing process, you can make a study say anything you want. Yeah. And so yeah. that's been the case. If we don't, like, as you said, those athletes are probably vastly overtrained. And then just by reducing the amount of work that they're producing, they're just capable of generating lifts. Like, in order to be explosive, you have to go toward the sympathetic nervous system. If you overtrain, that system is shot. So just by going toward aerobic system, which will allow you to get blood flow more toward the parasympathetic, you could allow your sympathetic system to recover, and from there, being able to generate more power. Your nervous system, if you just train your nervous system alone, you can increase your strength. You did not get stronger you're just capable of using your nervous system better. If you give me someone for two weeks, I can clear up the signals and by using food or stuff like that during their training system where I can get, uh, make them go apeshit crazy during their lifts by providing an environment where I can um, create a sympathetic reaction. Out of that alone, they'll be able to get PRs. 
But that doesn't mean I make you stronger in two weeks. It just means that allowed you to use your nervous system better. Mm -hmm. So I made you more efficient at your lift and I can make you PR. But you're not stronger. You're just more efficient in that sense with your nervous system. And that's a huge part of the equation as well, is that part there. So if I can shift your training environment so that I can create a better sympathetic response in your training by allowing you, for example, the healing process to take place through long runs. Yes, I can make you get a PR on your lift, but you did not get stronger in the sense that they mean through that the typical strength and conditioning work. That's the problem with all this. Yeah. While you were talking about this, and obviously I'm in complete agreement with you, what resonates with me again is the the nature of the business. And I think when you start to focus on the mechanical aptitude relative to task, opposed to just trying to grunt your way through it, whether it be running faster, whether it be lifting more weight, the outcome is going to be more economy. You're going to be able to do more. It's going to take you less time to do it. And that's a winning proposition all day long. All day long, because by being by having better skill at it, right, you also develop confidence. Uh, you'll base. I mean, if I can go into the neurological aspect of that, you know, it's the control of the vagus nerve. By the way, the, so we know if I can go into this real sure. fast, like the vagus nerve. We know that the ventral part allows you its socialization. That's a polyvagal theory. But the vagus nerve controls your heart rate. If you are in a more toward the parasympathetic state where you are calm, composed coordination, confidence, you have control of your vagus nerve that controls your heart rate. The second you start to go toward, um, I'm not sure about this, where you're hesitant, you get scared, you have a sympathetic reaction, you lose control of your heart rate almost instantaneously. This is why in some workouts where you don't do well mentally, your heart rate will go up 30, 40 beats per minute. So having a more, ef- a better efficiency of movement means you have a better skill at, at the movement, that means you are more confident. When shit goes wrong, you know what to do. That will allow you neurologically to control your heart rate. If you don't know what you're doing because you've been doing just the grunt work of let's bash my he- head against the wall and see what happens, you're just going to learn to basically freak out in your workouts. And the second you freak out, you lose everything. It's like someone who, tra- who has training to swim in a pool, right? and you take them toward the ocean, and they happen to be scared of the ocean. All that training in the pool is going to do absolutely nothing because they freaked out, Yeah. right? It yeah. shows you how much freaking out the power of your sympathetic side has on you. Just looking at the ocean and your heart rate is up, mm. right? So that's why we have to train people, as you said, with efficiency, right? So that they are comfortable in their skills in the movement. That will allow them to go back to swimming in a pool instead of swimming in the ocean. Neurologically speaking, it's a huge difference. The concept of uh, being efficient, and this is what we're really talking about. And, you you know, you come from a different planet in respect to the type of view that you have with movement skills than I do. But we're on the same page in respect to the outcome. And I've had people, you know, in the social media world, they'll come back. And I, I travel around the country and I'm teaching people running mechanics. I'm looking at the way they're moving. I'm showing them the, the mistakes they're making, and I try to correct them. And and every now and then, I'll get somebody come back at me and say, you know, you really can't or should not try to change the way people move because what they do is yeah. natural. Uh, 
<laughs> yeah. My response to that is, is that you come to me and tell me that you want to be a professional boxer. And I stick you in the ring with somebody like Muhammad Ali. And you start slapping at this guy like you're trying to hit him with your purse. And he decides to just dissect you with jabs and crosses and because he's trained to do it. Skill is everything. You have to teach your body. To, you just can't expect just because you, you know, you're visiting this planet for a short time that you have all these natural attributes that are going to pr provide for you. you. You have the tools, you know, but you still need to learn to use the tools. But by the way, what if you're using the wrong set of tools? Again, like we have, an, for me, I look at it from a neurological perspective in that sense, like your body has base, enfin, he has more than that, but let's say he has two settings. Right? He has a calm setting where you move a certain way and you have another setting when you freak out when you move differently. Again, you see it all the time. Look at a boxer. Let's go back to the boxer. If he's calm and he knows what he's doing, he's in a flow, right? Everything is going. You can tell the way he boxes. The second he freaks out, he starts swinging for the fences. His entire body is reacting a different way, right? He, start, he starts to lose coordination. You, you can, depending on the state you're in neurologically, you're going to move in a different way. So just telling me like that, oh, they move naturally, for me doesn't mean shit. Because you've seen people when they run scared, they run, remember the, the movie with King Arthur from the Monty Python? Yeah. When he's running, like, you know, he's, he, he, they ate the horse. So there's a guy with a coconut in the back and he's just running with his knees up. Okay, I've seen people running like that. When they're tired, they start to run like in that weird, into that weird King Arthur kind of way because they lost the flow, right? So teaching them efficiency is, first of all, you're teaching them a skill that they need to acquire because everything is a skill. But second of all, you to me, you're doing far more than that. You're teaching them to stay within the, their proper neurological state that has far more reaching consequences than we understand still. So the people that tell you they're just running like that are wrong on so many levels. Yeah. Well, now, this is what do you expect? Yeah, well, I, you know, thank you for saying so. And I guess I was fishing for it because I, I knew that's, that that's going to be your, your uh, response, essentially. I didn't know you were going to come up with the Monty Python uh, thing, but that, yeah. that was beautiful. So tell me, are you still doing seminars? Have you given up on that? Or? Yeah. No, 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 I'm still doing them. Maybe not. I'm doing them only once a month now because I um, I do a lot of the work I do is online. So I have like mentoring groups where I, I mentor online, do most things like this because it allows me to, now that I have a base again, I can do more testing on myself, on my athletes. I can do far more efficient work than I was doing on the road all the time because it was very taxing, as you can imagine. Yeah. So. And now I'm back to my rabbit holes and lately it's been a lot more the nervous system and things like this. So I still do seminars, but now I got way more time to do uh, more testing, which is very required. I had the same problem. I found myself just spread out too far. You know, I was traveling, satisfying a request to to come to different parts of the United States. And, and I do like a like you, much like you, I'll do like a couple day workshop. And uh, generally, we start with uh, clinical assessments. We look at resting me metabolism. We look at active metabolism. Then we do gait analysis, and we do gait correction. And then we, you know, we we put the work out in the field where I have them run on a track, then run on the mountain, whatever. But it just the travel was just so taxing for me, and it took so much more out of me that uh, I've decided that I'm just going to stay home. If people want to see me, they're going to come here to see me, and. You know, I'm doing the work here, but uh, not as frequently. And 
it's allowing me to get back to the things that I need to get, you know, give more attention, which is like you, online clients and uh, such. But uh, I guess where I'm going with all of this, are, do you have any plans to come to Los Angeles anytime soon? Uh, actually, I'll be in San Diego in December. And so, yeah, I, uh, but I, I'm going to be in the States in July and I'm supposed to stop by Los Angeles. So I would, if you're there, I would love to meet you. Oh, yeah, 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 I, I would too. Um, that's where I'm uh, kind of going there. Yeah, but we'll, you know, after this is all done, we'll make a point to connect. I think it would be fun to have you involved in one of the clinics I do because there's such a huge strength component and movement necessity. I think people would kill to have you demonstrate how better to carry a sandbag and how better to grip. What a complete package that would be to have uh, somebody that was a specialist in the way you move and somebody who's a specialist in the way you lift in this sport. Oh, I would love that because I can show them like overhead position, how to engage tension better and stuff like that. That's that's still a part of the job that I love is to see uh, that light bulb going in people's eyes when I show them which muscle to use overhead or on a sandbacker and, you, and they go, ooh, my back stops hurting. That makes me happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. I get it. Yeah. Well, again, I think... Uh, the moon and stars lined up for us to connect, and I'm so pleased to have had a chance to speak with you. Now I'm very excited to have more dialogue with you and possibly do some. Tell people how they find you for the mentoring work and the online services you provide. They can go on strongfit.com or they can uh, get me on Instagram at strongfit1. Because usually, like for the mentoring program, I make them do a seminar first, and then I got like a coach's week, and then they can go into the mentoring program. I am. Um, I, I'm interested in mentoring people that takes time, <sighs> that takes a lot of time. And so my, my work is very uh, specific in that sense, which means it's not necessarily for everybody, but I want to shape you as a human being and a coach. So that takes time. Yeah. So I would love to come to your uh, workshop and, and help you because running is not my specialty right. for anybody who's has ever seen me, they know that cardio is not my thing. I'm a strong man first, let's be honest. Um, I would love to learn more about it. Yeah, you and I will definitely connect. And, and Julian, I, I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. My pleasure. And I know my people are going to love it. So g give me the, the website again. So strongfit.com. Yep. Str and uh, Instagram is strongfit1. All right, got it. Well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network. Drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day.